You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey, everybody, better being here tonight by myself right now. But look, we got some great guests tonight. Two close friends of mine. I haven't had, like, guests that were this close of friends of mine. I've known them for a long time, both of them. Um, but first, I want to tell you why this, this podcast is so important to me. People see our highlights in, in life, but they, they don't really ever see the, the, the downside of, of, of what people that's in the media's perception they go through and a lot of them a lot of them have real hard times and they struggle real hard and, and they pull it out and we're very fortunate to get some people that, that are willing to open up about it. Uh, depression, drug use, sex addiction to everything. So that's one reason this podcast is so important to me. And in me, Boss Rutten, Rick Bassman, Flex Wheeler, we're all really into doing this show. Flex this weekend has some um, pain where he's not able to make the show tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for him, and hopefully everybody else does too. Uh, Boss is out of the country, but we'll be back next week. We're going to do a podcast from Holland, from Holland, and uh, I'm excited about that. But let's get this thing going. Let me bring on Rick. Rick, Rick Bass has been a close friend of mine for a long time, and uh, – we started this podcast doing it, just me, him, and a couple other guys just just talking, just getting things out. And one of us said, hey, let's just do this and let everybody listen. So that's what we're doing. So uh, glad y'all could join us. And um, let's bring Rick on, Rachel, and then we'll bring uh, the other two guests on. Hey, Damn, Dean. I, I feel like I should probably get fired at this point because you're getting so good at this. And you're like, it's like – I'm like, you know, these guys are all famous. My co-hosts, Boss Rutten and, and Flex Wheeler and Butterbean are famous. But the value I bring is like being the glue to hold this together. But you're becoming so good at this that I'm feeling insecure, Bean. Can you help me here? Rick, <laughs> yeah. you're doing a great job. We got, I tell you what I'm excited about tonight. Like I said last, you know, when I got hold of you last week about my, you know, the one friend of mine that's going to be on tonight, uh, I'm excited about this. And then along with Dan Henderson also, I'm excited about having Mark and Dan on both. It's going to be a good show tonight. I think this is cool, Ben, and, and it's, um, this is a little different. You know, normally I know everybody coming on to the show. I'm pretty sure tonight is the first night we have a guest on that I've never met before, and, that, and that's Mark. So I'm excited to see you welcome your two good friends on this show and see where it goes. And uh, getting to catch up with an old friend of Dan and, and hopefully making a new friend in Mark. So, Bean, take it away, man. Hey, let's let's bring Mark and Dan both on. And uh, I met Mark back in the, wow, it was back when I very first started wrestling. He actually brought it to Vince. And uh, he had me and, me and uh, Mark did a skit together. And it really turned out pretty good. Other than him grabbing the wrong stool and cracking me with a real <laughs> stool. But other than that, it went really good. And there he is. There's Mark. Hey, hey, how are you, man? Um, Butterbean, it's great to see you again, man. And and Rick, it's great to meet you. And thank you for having me on the, on the show tonight. I uh, I think uh, Bean and I got some great memories from that uh, that match back in the uh, I think it was 1998, somewhere around there. Somewhere in there. Yeah. You know, I got the, to the, read the crazy thing. The one reason I wanted you on as a guest, I was watching a, a motivational speaker one day. And I watched him, and he intrigued me. I mean, because everything he said made sense. You know, to who your friends are will show you where you're going to be to everything. And I'm going, shit, I know that guy. And it was you, Mark. I didn't realize it was you for about 30 to 45 minutes. You are awesome at what you do, my friend. Well, thank you. This is my, my 15th year speaking at schools and corporations all over the world. And I, I, I couldn't enjoy it more after finding – you know, after leaving professional wrestling, I found this new passion in life and really a calling kind of it. I I just love uh, inspiring others. Yeah, Mark, yeah, it's, 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 I was going to say, oh, Bain, it's, so good to, it's so good to see Mark. Again, I've never met you before. Of course, I'm well aware 
of who you are. I'm a fan from the, the Johnny B. Bad days in WCW through Mark Merrill, of course, and WWF, WWE. And I, I know a lot about you because I've read about you. And I'm so glad to have you on. But Dean, from the time we started the show, has been saying we need to get Mark Miro on the show. So I, I know this is a big deal for him. He thought he had your number. He wasn't sure. So Diamond Dallas Page was kind enough to uh, give it to me. I hope that's okay. And, uh, and then I found out I still had the number. It was buried in my phone. And, and, and here you are. And you look exactly as I pictured you would look, Mark, if it was 20 years ago. Well, <laughs> well wow. I appreciate that, man. I got to have you doing my PR now. <laughs> but I'm being interrupted, you man. I'm sorry. Hey, you know, you know I mean, like I said, I think I think Mark's had you know some. One thing we do talk about is is you know things that's happened in the past and how we overcome our problems. I mean, I'm sure everybody's got them. I'm sure you've uh, by listening to your your motivational speaking that that man, it's it's, it's been a rough go and on and off for you it has you know but through our struggles you know guys we find our strength and i think uh you know we all go through adversity every one of us and you know this pandemic has really you know affected many people and some worse than others with with isolation loneliness and depression anxiety even suicidal thoughts and i think uh, we all know somebody or we've been through our own struggles so we can all relate to it in some way and i think that's where you find that common ground when I speak to people is, is realizing how we can help each other and to help each other. We talk about our struggles, our issues, and we realize, man, we're not alone and, and we matter and we can help someone else by sharing our story. And that's, that's what I do. So Mark, let, let me ask you this, man. We, we all come from, for lack of a better way to say it, from kind of like this tough guy space. And, you know, Bean and I, we share your sensibility as does flex, as does boss. Are you finding in, in our worlds, whether it's pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, the Hells Angels, guys that might be considered tough guys, the, the various police departments, are you finding that they're more open to being open these days or are people still, still guarding that? You know, I think, I think that tough guy persona is, you know, we all, we all have to dig down deep when we go into a match, uh, boxing or fighting or whatever it could be. And I think we we approach life the same way as if we've gone through struggles, you know, we realize that, you know, maybe being a tough guy is really talking about it and helping someone else that's going through those struggles also. And we find joy in that. We find fulfillment. We find purpose in our lives, uh, just like we found it in, in whether it was a boxing ring or the martial arts or whatever it was before that we did, but we can also find it in, in helping other people. And I, I find that, uh, Man, there's there's no greater joy in my life now. Amen, man. And, and we have so much to talk about with Mark Bean, but I understand that our other friend is backstage. And would you like to uh, bring him on? Go ahead, Rick. I, you know Dan a little better than I do, more of his background. Me and him, I just know him from the fights and, and what friendship we've got backstage to, to actually know everything he's accomplished, which I know he's accomplished tons. I really don't know him on that level. I know him more of as just a, a friend guy in the, the back dressing room bullshitting with. You know, I have to say that I don't know Dan that well either, and I'm hoping that that changes tonight. We um we shared a facility years ago when Dan was part of the Raw team, one of the absolute first legendary training groups in mixed martial arts. That's where Randy Couture came from and guys like Tom Erickson. And Dan's one of the true OGs. So we started together. And I remember this guy who always looks like to the very steely exterior and looks as serious as the day is long. And I know that behind the scenes, he's considered like one of the funniest guys in, in mixed martial arts. So I, I hope we get to see that from a fan perspective. You know, and I followed this sport for from the time Ken Shamrock first walked onto the stage at UFC in 1993. If you look up, if you're a fan, you look up mixed martial arts records, in my opinion, and I told this to Dan not long ago, he and one other gentleman who's on with us next week, the Garden of Saucy, I believe they have far and away the two most impressive records in the history of MMA for who they fought and who they've beaten. So why don't we bring on our, our guy we're getting to know and our new friend, Dan Anderson. Hey, Dan. Doing awesome. Great, great. How's your day going, my friend? Oh, uh, I can't complain. Just, uh, you know, did some coaching today and, and – 
handled some things in my gym and living life. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever met Mark Miro or, or talked to him? I, talk I, don't, I don't believe I have. No, very nice to meet you, Mark. Dan, it's a, it's a pleasure, man. You know, I've been a big fan of yours and Beans. I, I think the thing that's so cool about any match you or Bean have ever been in, it can end at any time with a right hand. And I tell you, it's so exciting to, to watch you you fight over the years. And you really have fought the who's who of, 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 of mixed martial arts. I mean, there's nobody that you haven't fought that wasn't a top fighter. And uh, my hat's off to you, man. It's a pleasure to meet you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some stories tonight and just sharing with you guys. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and being this is like part of why talking tough is so much fun because we have two guys. I don't know how your screen is set up, but I'm looking at Dan uh, beneath you on the screen, Mark's beneath me on the screen, and I'm looking at these two guys, one I barely know, one I've never met before, and going, we have legends on here. We have a legend from the mixed martial arts space, an icon from the pro wrestling space, and it's just fun to get to introduce you guys. So that's what I wanted to say about that. Like I, when, I, when I first opened up, I was telling people how this originally started, me, you, Tom Howard, a couple other close friends, just just bullshitting, like, hey, you know, like, if we're having a bad day, we'd tell each other and maybe help each other out. and Because they can relate to the problems that we've had it on, you know, on a different level. Of, of A lot of people can't really understand what we got to go through all the time. And uh, we all decided we should let everybody listen, you know, and I think it's turned out pretty good. Yeah, Dan, Dan and Mark, and, you know, we should dive into that stuff. And, Bean, you're good about getting that out of people. So let, let me let me set it up this way. Guys, we'll get thousands of comments. You know, people come on here because, you know, they want to hear about Dan Henderson's toughest fight. And they want to hear about Mark Nero's craziest backstage story. And, you know, it's fun to talk about that stuff, and we should. But then we always segue over into, like, you know, what's the toughest challenge been in your life? And we've had guys come on here. Like, I, I know Don Fry won't mind this. Don Fry revealed on Talking Tough that he had been the, the victim of molestation. And who would have ever thought that about Don Fry? And he revealed that for the first time because when we have guys that are, you know, look like tough guys on, on the surface and are, of course, legitimately, everyone seems to open up and, and, and get into it. You know, what? And, and what we find from our fans, our listeners, is they write us going, oh, my God, I, I can't believe that, you know, Dan went through this or Mark went through that. It makes me feel so much stronger about what I'm facing in my life right now. And and for that reason, the show tends to inspire. So, Bean, if you want to take the lead and dive into it, man, please do. Yeah, I really don't know where to start. I mean, they're both like awesome guys. I just, you know, like, like Dan, like, have you ever had any kind of injury or anything that really, like, brought you down that you just – because I know you – I mean, you ended up on top. I mean, but there's got to be some – some part of your life says, I don't know if it's worth it or not. Uh, you know, I, I, I've had some, some, you know, pretty good injuries over the years, but nothing that mentally made me think, why am I doing this or anything like that? I just, you know, kind of deal with the injury and, and work through it till it doesn't hurt anymore. You know, I keep, Sometimes I get to keep training through it. Sometimes I have to take some time off. But, uh, you know, I know that way back in the day, when before I even started fighting, I was just wrestling internationally. You know, I hurt my neck and, and uh, you know, I had to deal with that through. And then I made two Olympic teams. And and, and then I started fighting after that. And, and 20 years later, after I, after I fought for 20 years, I went and had neck surgery when I was done, and it feels a lot better now. I should have done that a lot a long time ago. But oh, you fought when you had the neck injury. Yeah, but you know, my neck, my body just protected itself so well. You know, after the pain kind of went away, I didn't have very much mobility in my neck. I'd always have to turn my whole body to look around. But you know. Yeah, just uh, my body just protected itself. That my neck muscles were, were huge, and and I didn't have you know I couldn't turn my head very well. But but it worked fine. It didn't bother me the last probably ten years of my my fighting career. Wow. You know, Dan, you ever be, had any bad injuries, Mark? 
You know, I've uh, like everybody in our, our industry, I've had 14 surgeries, you know, total reconstruction of my knee, five elbow surgeries, five shoulder surgeries, uh, nose, I had open heart surgery. Uh, so I've been through my, my, my share of uh, hospital visits, but I, I feel great. I'm 61 years old now. I feel like Wow, you don't look like a kid again. You know, that old. I'm sorry. Yeah, you look old. Well, thank you, my friend. But uh, uh, you know, I when I hear when I hear Dan's story, I I think man, I should have surrounded myself with more guys like Dan when I was uh, (laughs) going through my issues. So, Mark, four, 14 surgeries. That's funny. I've had 14 surgeries, so I had a comment on that. It's interesting that we that we have the same number. Uh, but that that aside, beyond injury, you guys. And this is diving in, and this is this is personal. I hope you don't mind. Not but, you know, Dean and I and Boss and Flex and guys that have been on really, you know, get into it. You know, myself, for instance, I, I laid in a hospital bed for three years dying from stage four lung cancer. I had other times in my life where I was addicted and depressed and homeless all at the same time. Not, not, not a combination I recommend to anybody. Um, Dan and Mark, you guys are icons. You have so many fans that look up to you. Is, is there a condition that you wouldn't mind sharing that you guys have experienced, been through, that is so horrific that you tell people about it and they're they're going to feel like they can share an experience with you and be inspired through that? Well, if I can, you know, I'm going to be totally honest here, and this is what I share when I speak at at schools or corporations. Uh, when I really want to um, help other people. But, you know, uh, you guys know that I was a boxer before I was a wrestler. I won the New York State Golden Gloves a few years in a row. And then I went to uh, the US, USA boxing team in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The Olympics were boycotted in 80. I was there in 81. And um, at that time, I didn't want to wait three more years to try to make the Olympic team. So I decided to turn professional. I had a, I had a five-fight contract with ESPN at the time. And I was getting ready for my first pro fight. It was in my hometown. And I was, I've never trained harder for anything in my entire life. Ran more miles, did more wind sprints. Two weeks before the first, my first pro fight, I get my nose shattered in an accident. I needed reconstructive surgery. In that time, the doctor said it'd be like, you know, uh, eight months to a, to a year before I could really come back and start having full contact again. And my whole life, I was in sports, you know, with football, hockey, boxing. So I was always playing three sports a year always training, always into that with the jocks and stuff. And it was the first time in my life I had all this free time in my hands. And sometimes when we have a lot of free time. We're presented with a lot of choices. And guys, I started making some really bad ones. I mean, life-changing bad choices. And the first thing I did wrong, man, I started hanging out with the wrong people. And these friends would be partying and doing drugs and everything. And next thing I know, I'm getting high every week. And I, I remember kept thinking, I'd be at parties drunk and go, hey, guys, I'm coming back in one year. I'm going to be champ of the world. I do this week after week, month after month. Well, one year turned into two years. Two years turned into four years. And four years turned to 10 years of my life of drug addiction. And it was in those times, the only job I could get with my limited high school education was uh, in construction, like building swimming pools or something like that, you know? And I remember being at the bottom of those pools and just thinking, man, how did I get here? I was once a, a top flight athlete in hockey, football, boxing, and here I am just a drug addict, you know? And that's when I, the story about my mom came came about, about where she would wait up all night for me. I'd be out drunk and high with my friends. And we'd pull up in front of my house. The lights would all be on. And she'd be waiting up for me. And all she ever wanted to do was talk to me. I used to blow her off and slam my door or whatever. Just treat her horrible. And in that time, you know, um, I had a bunch of friends over my apartment. And I was flipping through the TV. My buddy was flipping through the T channels. And he landed on professional wrestling. And I just remember going, hey, guys, man, I could do that. And they all busted out laughing. They go, Mark, look at the sides of those guys. They're going to pick up over their head and throw you out of that ring. I go, man, I'm telling you, I could do that. Well, anyways, long story short, I found out where there was a wrestling school. And I started going there after work and on weekends. One year later, I signed a big contract with World Championship Wrestling as the character Johnny B. Bad. And that's how my whole life took off. And uh, got off the drugs, you know, made it into wrestling. And then I start partying with the wrestlers, being on the road, doing the coke all the time and getting high. And then I start missing matches. And I remember Dusty Rhodes pulled me in the office and he says, kid, I made you and I'm going to break you. You miss one more match and you're done with your career. And it straightened me out for a while, but I was still hooked on drugs, you know, and 
my life spun out of control, went through divorce and everything. And it got to the point where I just didn't want to be here anymore. The depression, the anxiety, everything that came into play through the drug abuse and the getting high all the time, I just just felt like there, what was the use of living? I, I became a multimillionaire, lost it all, then through the divorces and everything, uh, just bad bad financial decisions, all the mistakes I made. It just got to a point where I just felt as depressed as I, I could possibly be, where I just want to end my life. And it was really at that point where, you know, I had a choice, either I'm going to end my life or I'm going to make, and I got on my knees and I just prayed to God. You know, it was, it was a coming home to Jesus moment for me, man. And I just asked Christ in my life and, and it changed everything. And next thing I know, um, I was asked to speak at a high school and in another school. And then they told another school and it just snowballed. And I was averaging 230 a year for the first 13 years. And of wow. course, the pandemic came and we've been off just doing virtual. We're just now back in schools. So I just started back in schools. But um, the the video that went viral, some of my videos that have gone viral where millions of people have seen it, uh, Butterbean, the fact the one you saw was actually filmed by, remember, you know, you know, Diamond Dale's page was on your show a couple weeks ago, I believe, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He, his crew filmed that. And uh, I'll never forget, Dale's called me up because, Hey bro, you mind we put this up on YouTube? I said, sure, go right ahead. And he goes, you never know, it could go viral. And next thing you know, millions of people saw that. And we were we we had the first the first month we had three thousand booking requests to go around the world. We've been everywhere to Russia, Guatemala, and that's what I do for a living now. And it's the it's the greatest living I, I could ever imagine. And not only that, but been clean since two thousand and three. So you know, I'm on my what my eighteenth, uh, nineteenth year clean. Well, first, congratulations. <laughs> Wow. And, but now, right now, I'm having a lot of trouble getting around walking because of my back and hip. Starting uh, March 1st, me and Dallas are actually doing a reality-type-based show. I'm going to move in with him in Atlanta and live with him for three months. I live down the street yeah. from him, man. And he's going to get me back on track and, and get me up and moving again. Oh, Bean, that's great. Well, you're going to see me there because I train with him a lot at, at his uh, at his home uh, doing the DDPY. So I'll be glad to join you guys, man, and see that uh, transformation. That's awesome. I gained a ton of weight. I mean, I was over I was over 500 pounds. What What are you right now? Right now, I'm at 365. Okay, that's great. So you I mean, you, you dropped yeah, down. a lot of gain and went down, up, back, and uh, right now I've been like, man. If you see what I've eaten, it sucks. But I'm so determined right now, and and, and I want to work with Dallas, and, and, and not as much the weight loss that I lose when I'm there. It's just be able to get motivated to, get, to moving again, I think. That's the main thing. Well, you're going to get a lot of uh... – you know, inspiration from him and flexibility and everything that he does with the, with, with all the people that he has helped through, through his DDPY, the yoga program he's got. It's incredible. I, I love working out with him. We, we have a great time together. He's been one of my closest friends for the last, uh, gosh, we've been friends since 1990. So think about that, man. Although, wow, third, 30 years we've been friends. It's incredible. Yeah. And we wrestle each other hundreds of times and uh we we fought in more pay-per-views against each other than any other wrestler i think i wrestled <laughs> uh, yeah i'm excited i'm excited for being in page to work together it's been a long long time coming dan have you ever done viral somewhere i have not i have not done any uh pro wrestling at all and and i don't know if i have the uh <clears throat> you know the right personality for that but i mean obviously i can wrestle but uh, I'm not good at talking shit, so <laughs> I'm I'm shocked to hear that you haven't done any. As, as as big of a superstar as you were in Japan, I thought they would have pulled you into it somewhere along the uh, along the trail. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I never got asked over there, but kind of. I think it it the the pride the demise of pride kind of happened a little bit on you know quickly and suddenly and and. Yeah, I didn't know it was it was happening until it was already happening, and and uh, you know all of a sudden we were we were done going to Japan, you know after that. So and and you know I was pretty busy with my MMA career at the time as well, and and you know would rather be doing that than than pro wrestling, I guess, because 
like I said, I'm not good at talking, talking smack. You know, it's funny, man. I don't think I ever told you this before, but you know, Mark and Bean, we used to share a printing facility in El Segundo by, by Los Angeles Airport. And that's when I had my school running, uh, UPW. And I had some of the big, some of the biggest guys in the world training in that ring with us. And some legit tough guys also. You probably remember Sylvester Turkai and whatnot. But um, mainly they're just giant guys, you know, six, no, no pro wrestling exaggeration, six, eight, 400. We had a lot of guys like that. And Dan was training there. And we often talked, Dan, about inviting you in to train with us. And everybody was terrified. They're like, he's going to think it, he's going to think it's a shoot and let's not ask him. We had that conversation. Many times. Oh, I'm not that mean of a guy. Well, as told us, he's been injured more doing pro wrestling than did while any legit fight he's ever had. He's got injured more in pro wrestling than he did with, with real fights. You, you, know, you, know you know what it is about pro wrestling, though, is, you know, like even in boxing, the only time I got hurt was that, that one time where I shattered my nose. But other than that, I never really got hurt in boxing. But wrestling because we did 250 matches a year we we're always on the road your body never got proper rest you're staying up all night you're partying and you're getting slammed every day you're you, you don't always land right you know and and you're wrestling different guys and some guys are real stiff some guys are real easy to work with it's a dance you know and not only does that dance always go well you know so it's a uh, it's, it just takes a toll on your body. You tweak an ankle, you twist a, your shoulder or something, and it's like you you wrestle in pain. And that's why the uh, pain medication was so addicting in, in many wrestlers that have passed on from uh, years of um, abuse. I don't know how they do it now. I'll be honest without – I mean, because they're really strict on the, the medication now with the wrestlers. They are, but they, 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 they don't wrestle nearly like we used to. They do about 80 matches a year compared to our 250 when we when I was there. I done a show with Hulk Hogan called Hulk Hogan Celebrity Wrestling. It was a month and a half shoot. And I tell you what, by the end of it, I could barely move. And I mean, I'm, I'm not, no joking, I could barely move. Well, you know, they say wrestling is fake, but gravity is real. <laughs> so. Yeah. I agree with that. It's 100% true on that one. Yeah. yeah. Bottom line, Mark, you can't fake uh, throwing your back onto a piece of wood, can you? <laughs> no, and you know, those those steel chairs really are steel. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the wood chairs are supposed to come apart when you get hit with them? Yeah, we got to tell that story. Okay, so B and I are fighting in a four-man tough man contest, and the, and the end of the match is supposed to be, uh, you know, B knocks me out, and then, but I, I, I get up and I take the stool, and I bust Bean over the head with a stool. And I was, it's a breakaway stool. It's supposed to splinter in a million pieces, okay? Well, there's two stools underneath the ring, one for me to sit on in between rounds, and, of course, the breakaway stool, that's the gimmick stool. Well, the trainer hands me the wrong stool, so when it's time for me to hit Bean over the head, I swung this stool as hard as I could, and it didn't break. So I, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So we're in this live pay-per-view. So I swing it again on Bean, and just the, the top, the round part, just falls off, you know? And it didn't splinter. And, Bean, and that night at dinner, Bean said to me, he goes, I thought that chair was supposed to break away. My head is killing me, man. Well, wait a sec. You're, you're trying to tell us this wasn't real? You just shattered all my illusions here, Mark. Just just oh this God. one match. That's it. Too just real. Too real. <laughs> hey, guys, we, we had a comment from a, a fan asked Dan saying that they love pride and the weight differentials. Now, that was a different day back then. We, we won't see that anymore, maybe in some odd country. But, Dan, what, what's, the biggest, what's the biggest weight difference you ever fought with, and who was it? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one because I don't know. It's hard to say. I know that when I fought in that King of Kings tournament over in Japan, I was one of the smaller guys. I don't think I was the smallest guy, but I probably weighed it around 190 to 95. And uh, Big Nog and, and Babalu were both pretty heavy, like in the 255, 260 range. Mm-hmm. That might have been close to the biggest weight differential. Um, 
you know, I, I did fight a lot of bigger guys, but they were more in the 220 to 240 range. And I, so I certainly got bigger up to about 200. So, I mean, I can see. Did you ever fight a bigger guy or a smaller guy? What I what? what? I mean, would you rather fight a bigger guy? Because, I mean, we're slower, supposedly. <laughs> or would you rather fight someone you're, you, know, you know, your own size or, or smaller? Uh, you know, I didn't really care. I mean, honestly, I didn't mind fighting the bigger guys. Yeah, they were a bit slower, but they hit a little bit harder. Um, but some of the big guys were pretty quick too, you know. But my biggest thing was just being in the right position and, and being more technical. And, and it does, size doesn't matter as much when, you, when you're doing it right. Dan, you know, you you always struck me as a guy who, and I mean this in a good way, that just didn't care. And <laughs> what, what, I, what I mean by that is, like you mentioned Big Nog a second ago, who's considered now legitimately the number two heavyweight of all time after Fedor. That's where most rankings would place him. Now, if you're going to go fight, you know, Jan uh, Norche, the giant, there's not a big skill set there. Right. What, what's your mindset going into a match with a guy like Big Nod, who's as big, big as he is and as good as he is. Does, do you start to doubt yourself or is it another day at the office? No, and, and I get asked that all the time, What what's my mindset. But, I mean, if, if I had any doubts about my ability, I wouldn't be going into that fight. I shouldn't be going into that fight. You know, self-confidence is, is a huge part of – being good at what you do, no matter what it is. And, and, uh, you know, and I had quite a bit of it. And I think that came from the way I trained and how technical I was. And I knew I was better than, than these other guys. I might not be quicker. I might not be stronger, but I know technically I was better. And, and, and I know I hit hard and, and I could change the fight at any time. And, and, that was my mindset. It doesn't matter who they were. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily, come up with a game plan to fight right into their strengths. I, I kind of try to control the fight and, and make it mine. And, and uh, you know, it worked out pretty well most of the time for me. Sometimes it doesn't quite work out, and, and uh, they end up controlling the fight, and next thing you know, you're tapping out. So uh, when, when you are controlling it, like this is – it's a big fa- – it's a fan question, I admit it. So you you beat Fedor Emelianenko – when he was considered downright unbeatable, you were fighting as a light heavyweight. He was a legit, pretty heavy heavyweight who's now considered the number one heavyweight of all time. Do you go into that fight with the same mindset? Or did you were you surprised when you beat him? I have to know. Uh, no, I went into this with the same mindset, but I can tell you that that my wife and a bunch of my, my corner guys were a little more nervous for that fight than it he, than the usual fight. Um, but in my mind, I was, I was going to do my thing and, and not let him do his thing. And, and uh, you know, it, it worked out like that. It, you know, he started out, he came out swinging at me, trying to knock my head off. I think I, I kind of caught him off guard when I tried to touch gloves with him right at the beginning. And after we touched gloves, then he tried to knock my head off right away. And uh, I remember hitting him with a, with a pretty good left hook as he was coming at me and, and it backed him up. And, you know, I think that's when he figured out that the little guy can hit hard too. So, and, and then it was a pretty good back and forth fight after that. So when that, when that fight ended, you didn't go, Oh my God, I, I won. Like it was a big surprise. You're like, okay, great. Another win. I mean, <laughs> no, I, did. I, was, I was pretty happy about that. That was a, that was a huge one. It was, you know, in my mind, I think that that for my career, that might have been my that was my biggest accomplishment uh, as a fighter between him and 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 when I beat Vanderlei Silva and got the second pride belt. Yeah, those 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 are two beasts, man. Yeah, we talked about your your record. It's just it, it boggles my mind the guys that that you have fought and the record you compiled, man. It's just. It's amazing. Just two two great fights with, with uh, Bisbang, too. Man, those were uh, – <laughs> wow, those were some good fights. Yeah, that's de- Bisbang was definitely the, the fan favorite of my career, for sure. They, they liked that I shut his mouth up, but 
it didn't shut up for for more than a couple months. <laughs> and uh, that that was personal for you, wasn't it? I remember the uh, that that one second after the fight was over, and uh, looked very very personal at uh, Mark and Bean. I don't know if what you're uh, if you know what I'm referring to, but and Dan, I hope you don't mind me putting this way and correct me if I'm wrong. But Dan already put his lights out, and then he put them out again. <laughs> well, yeah. I can tell you that. It, that that wasn't personal for me. I and I I did that against Vanderlei when I knocked him out. It just you know kind of felt better against Bisbing. Uh, you know the only time that I really had some personal feeling and and gave a little bit extra oomph is is when I fought Lombard, uh, only because he kind of said some said some things uh two or three days before the fight and i didn't like it so okay <laughs> and it was kind of fresh but no i would have done that to you know just to make sure the fight was done i only i knocked him out and followed up with one punch and it was a good one but you know i would have I, I did that to vandal i think i hit him one or two, uh, two or three times after i knocked him out but just to make sure the fight's over but All right Terrible. no I, I wasn't really. I didn't take anything Bisming did during during our Ultimate Fighter filming personal. I just I just thought he was a douchebag, and you know that's kind of that's kind of what how I fought him. And I knew I was I wasn't worried about him. I knew I was going to beat him up um, and just kind of stalk him down. And you know I knew I was a better fighter. Oh, you, uh, well, that's a good question. When, you know, when I, when I first went into wrestling, you know, you was actually my first match I had with the WWF. And some of the guys said something that didn't make sense to me. Cause I mean, to me, wrestling was, it was all like, everybody knows what's going to happen. It's all set up. And, and somebody said, yeah, but there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the right word competition in pro wrestling. And I didn't get that at first until after a while. What what is what was your biggest competition in pro wrestling? Like who was it with and against? Well I, and maybe I mean, you can explain explain what I'm saying where people can yeah. understand what I'm well first about. of all there's only there's only so many spots available for television when you really think about it, you know, with Monday Night Raw and you you know in the and the uh, SmackDown and stuff. There's only so many spots available and let's say there's let's I'll throw out a number. Let's just say there's 25 spots available for television and you got, you know, 40, 50 guys in the roster. Everybody's vying for spots. You know, you want to be on television. You want to, and it also goes into contract negotiation and stuff like that, you know? Um, so it's very, it's very competitive. There's very political behind the scenes. So you don't really make a lot of lifelong friends in that business. It's very difficult to make a, lifelong friends in, in the in the wrestling industry because of the politicalness of it. You have clicks and things like that, you know. Um there's just a he few guys that down the steps where you can't I got you. Yeah, there's you know there's just a few guys that really remain long long term friends I consider like friends for life out of out of the industry. But uh it's very it's very political, it's very competitive and um it's uh, something that, you know, I, I had three years left on my guaranteed contract and I just, I just had enough. I walked away and said, screw it, man, I'm done. And went out in my life and I, I, I couldn't be happier now in my life. Yeah. You, you look great and you sound, I can't believe you're 61, man. That's incredible. And, and, and I appreciate what you went through with the decades of, of abuse, what you described earlier with the addiction and the toll your, the toll it takes on your body. So man, you're obviously uh, you're doing something right, no doubt about it. And it's uh, and I got to tell you, Mark, it's gratifying to see because like like yourself, I'm sure like like being like Dan, we've had so many friends pass and people that aren't doing well. So it's always like so great to talk with someone who's happy with their life and doing well. So I just wanted to uh, say that for the sake of saying it. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It's it's life is about our choices. We're defined by the choices we make in our life. And and like I said earlier, we become who we surround ourselves with. You know, I tell these these students, show me your friends, and I'm gonna show you your future. Yep. Ain't, yeah. ain't that... Dan, who are you hanging out with these days, man? <laughs> I don't know. I I've uh 
I hang out with my wife all the time, but no, I, I, uh, you know, been told this number of times when, when I, ha- I have somebody that, that I know kind of know, or they're kind of a friend and then they come in, come in to an event or, or, a a party or barbecue with a lot of my friends there. Everybody says that, you know, how great my friends are. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, the other ones don't last too long. The older I get, the better my friends are. And and it's exactly what Mark, Mark just said, you know, except for I'm, you know, 50, 51 now and, and already weeded out the bad ones. So, you know, I, I don't have any of those uh, bad life stories that, that, you know, you Mark just told, but uh, I definitely, you know, have made bad choices in my life, but I've, I've kind of stayed, stayed on a path. I mean, I was competing my whole life. I started wrestling when I was five years old, two Olympic teams and right into MMA. So, I mean, if, if, if I kind of made some bad choices and, and started down the rabbit hole, you know, with drugs and alcohol, I, I wouldn't have been able to have a 20 year MMA career either, you know? So I, I do believe that, the path that I was on with competing my whole life was definitely, even though it beat my body up, it was, it was a healthy way to (laughs) live life compared to what the alternative could have been. You never know. So when you were starting to slip and slide and go in the wrong direction, I know there was somebody say that again. I'm sorry. I go, there's got to be some person in your life that, that said, hey, dude, you screw it up. You, you need to do it like this. And, <laughs> well, and I, mean, but, I don't know if you listen to him. Yeah. I tell my son that all the time. He never listens to me until after he screws up. Then he comes back and says, damn, I wish I'd listen to you, Dad. Well, my dad my dad was my wrestling coach through as a kid through high school, not in college, but uh, through two Olympic teams. He was – one of the coaches that I had and, and, you know, was kind of there most of the time We, you know, we got away and, and away from the coaches and there was trips to Russia that we had for training that, you know, the longest one was four months. There was five of us wrestlers. There are no coaches. We were there with the, the Russian coaches and, and, you know, we did our share of partying, but, but no drugs and, you know, just alcohol. And we didn't, we didn't get too hardcore with it, but, you know, we kind of reined each other in and, and, you know, made sure, you know, everybody was making it a practice. And if they didn't, they were going to hear from it, you know, from us, you know, if you can't handle it, don't, don't be partying the next, you know, if you can't get up and work out the next day. So Dan, someone, someone can say that to you. And I understand that here. I'm going to try to articulate this question as best as I can. Mark, you know, from the world you're in, especially how many guys, could you name that were stars that didn't go astray? Probably not many, if, if any at all. Um, I know I can't. And and that applies to mixed martial arts. I mean, Dan, even, even your friends, my friends who grew up as world-class athletes, Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr, Kurt Angle, they all went that way for a while. How did you stay above the fray? Was it, an, was it a day-to-day conscious decision or is it just who you are? Because... Dude, that's wholly unusual to find someone in that position. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I guess that's who I am because I've never had the desire to go and do certain drugs. I mean, yeah, I've, 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 especially, you know, the last couple of years that, one, I've been retired, and, and, and two, it's, it's some pretty much legalized in California, just smoking a little pot here and there or trying that. But that's about the only thing I've ever done in my life besides drinking. And, and believe me, I, I party party after a fight. I'm, I mean, I'm partying quite a few nights for the next couple of months until my next training camp. And, you know, I gave myself uh, before each fight, I would I would not drink a, a sip of alcohol two months out of a fight. And, and, you know, that that also helped. You know, I didn't I. I was serious about my career and, and if I had a shitty shitty practice one day because I was out drinking, you know, it those add up. If I have five or ten of those in a training camp, you know, I could have been that much more prepared and instead, you know. But 
I do my I, I make up for it after my fight. That's for sure. So I didn't feel like how many times you've been asked since you've been retired is when are you gonna fight again? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I can barely walk. I still get people ask me, "Are you gonna fight again?" I'm going. I'm scooter chair right now. I can barely move around. Hell no, I'm not. I mean, I'm happy you retired, but I mean, if I could get around really good, I, I don't know. It might be tempting. <laughs> you gotta get do like uh, the wheelchair boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know, Mark. I think after Dallas Page gets through with Beam, we might see one more comeback. Yeah, you, you never know, man. You know, like I say, never say never. Um, but you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 tragic to see guys that were our, in our industry that you know that someone has to start a GoFundMe page for them or something that they're going through, whether it's a surgery or something that they're they're dealing with their drugs or whatever whatever it could be, you know. And it's tragic because you see them, you know, you make a lot of money in the industry for a while. And then, you know, then all of a sudden there's, there's not that, that, that financial freedom anymore, money coming in. And all of a sudden you really have to, you have to be prepared for retirement. You have to be, be prepared for after your, your, your next career. And um, a lot of guys don't have a career after, after the lights go out, you know? Yeah, that, it's definitely tough. A lot of the guys and people have what I call stripper syndrome. They make killer money. They think it's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I definitely called myself a stripper back in the day when after I was done wrestling and I started fighting in pride, I mean, they would pay me in American cash. And I literally, you know, said I was only going to do this for about a year and then do what I was going to do. And, uh, you know, two, three years, you know, the, the years started rolling on and I felt like I was a, an old, you know, just a stripper, just liking the cash a little bit too much to go do what I had planned on doing instead, you know, but when my, when I was wrestling, you know, kind of like what Mark said, 240 matches a year, I was, I was having about 50 to 60 matches a year your body, my body felt more beat up wrestling than it did when I started fighting. You know, I was only competing three times a year. So between my body feeling better and earning actual cash, that, that, uh, that was definitely, I was a stripper for a little while. See, I, I, was, I had a lot. I fought actually four fights in one month. I mean, I'm talking pride in Japan in California, I was in China, all of the how many, how many how many rounds was it though? <laughs> some of them went, you know, some of them were long fights. So I had uh, two pride fights that were, you know, the ten minute round fights. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. I remember so, those when you were most there. of them were MMA fights at that point. One boxing and then three MMA. Yeah. I had three MMA fights in one night. That was probably my my toughest night of fighting that I've ever had. Dan, where, what, what organization was that for? Uh, that was in King of Kings. It was uh, Rings. Rings was the uh, organization, Rings. and the, their tournament was King of Kings. It was the, their 32-man unlimited weight class tournament. Dan, did you want to win that tournament? I'm sorry? Did you go on to win that tournament? If you want, yeah, I won the tournament. It was, it, it was. I fought the first two fights in, in one event, and then went back for the the next three fights in the next event. But it was, it was kind of a bracket. So the quarters, the semis, and the finals were all in one night. So that was, that was definitely the. T- I I kind of blew out my knee a little bit in my second fight, and had to had to man it up for my my final fight. Wow. I, I know we could just look this up. We could Google it, but who'd you fight that night, Dan, for the quarters, semis, and finals? Uh, I believe it was Gilbert Yavell, uh, Big Nog, and Babalu. Wow, what an easy lineup. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Gilbert Evil, if you guys don't know him, is considered probably the dirtiest fighter of all time. Um, did, did, yeah. did he? Did he uh, pull any of his tricks on you? Yeah, yeah. He he 
he didn't get DQ'd, but he did some some nasty stuff. Right. And now, so wow, that's quite a lineup for one night. Holy cow! So if you were um if you were fighting in Pride back in two thousand and one, and they said your opponent tonight is Butterbean, at the height of his fame and career in uh, in Japan with Pride, what what would your strategy have been going in to fight Butterbean? I don't know, man. I don't uh, have to put the Butterbean rule. Obviously, I don't want to Obviously, I wouldn't want to stand up with him. I wouldn't want to shoot on him and have him sprawl and flatten me out either. So I don't know. I'd probably get in the clinch with him and just hang on him and wear him out a little bit. Hold on to him because that's kind of was my style anyway because of my Greco wrestling background. I'd get in there in the clinch and just kind of hold on to him. Dan, if I was working your corner, I would have gave you the stool, okay? <laughs> just to the, the, the breakaway stool? No. Even the real even the real stool. Even the real stool didn't knock him out. <laughs> yeah, that probably would have worked. Yeah. That would have helped. It was always uh, it's always fun watching fighters come up with strategies to fight Bean. I cornered Bean, I don't know how many times around the world. And in Hawaii, I actually booked his opponent, which is a six foot six inch, two hundred and seventy pound pro wrestler by the name of Aaron Aguilera, who opened the fight with a flying drop kick. So it was a uh, it was always straight up pro wrestling style drop kick. People were always trying to pull out different tricks with B, and it was pretty entertaining. My most memorable fight, and I'm going to ask you what your fight most memorable like. I fought Cabbage Herrera, and he elbowed me, knocked my front teeth out. Oh. I pulled the mouthpiece out. I pulled the teeth out, put it back in, and went at it. I get more comments about that fight than any fight I ever had. What 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 fight to you brings that kind of memory? Oh, I know that uh, when I fought Big Nog the second time, and it was on like 10 days' notice, I lost the fight, but that was probably one of the funner fights I've had. Cause he, that's, he, he almost submitted me about four times and I just kept getting out and then kept getting out. And then, you know, finally I, three minutes left in the fight, I kind of got a little bit worn out and pushing his, pushing his bigger body around. I got worn out and, and uh, he, he did end up arm, arm barring me, but that was probably one of the, the funnest fights I've had. Big dog. There wasn't any big story other than my elbows being super sore for for a couple weeks after that <laughs> from escaping the submissions, but there wasn't any teeth falling out. It just it, it just blows me away, Dan, that you as a you know very storied light heavyweight beat the top heavyweight ever and almost beat the number two heavyweight ever. So it's just it's incredible. And on stories of big matches, Mark, who was your favorite opponent? of all time in pro wrestling. And if you don't mind sharing, who was your least favorite? Um, my favorite. Well, I got to give a couple guys favorite because like I said, it's a dance. There's some guys that I worked really well with um, uh, stone cold, Steve Austin. You know, I beat him when I won the, the tournament for the intercontinental title. Uh, we had a great match and King of the ring was, was a fantastic match. Um, guys that were easy to work with like Ric Flair or Eddie Guerrero, but um, I always enjoyed wrestling Diamond Dallas Page because he was like it was like uh, sometimes it was like a real fight because <laughs> he was, was really physical and I liked that. So he was fun to work with. We we worked each other a couple hundred times around the world, you know. Um, so, uh, but the least favorite, um, he's friends now, but at the time we were not very good friends. Um, uh, Bradshaw. I don't know if you know who Bradshaw was. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's funny about John. John's been on our show, actually. And yeah. he, he's such an interesting guy. It's like I've I would say I've become real friends with him just in the past year. Um, he always was nice. He always he always treated me well, a lot better than he treated others. But you hear so many horrible things about him and then you get to know him. And what a cool guy. So yeah, yeah you know, and he, he does he does a lot for the community. He does uh I believe it's in Haiti. Yeah. He brings uh, he, he builds water things for them and stuff, but uh Amazing so much respect for him now. But at the time we were the WWE, he did not like me, and of course I didn't like him. We actually fought in the one the butterbean when butterbean came in and, and we had a we had like a 
uh, tough man contest and I had to fight Bradshaw in a tough man contest. So we went to, you know, boxing, but you could take the guy down too. So uh, we went to three rounds. It was three rounds and we went to a draw and then we had to go one more round and they gave him the decision. But uh, uh, he ended up getting knocked out by a Bart gun. And that's yep, when yep. Butterbean came in for the pay-per-view and knocked out Bart Gunn. Yes, one of the ugliest knockouts of all time. Uh, Dan, did you have you ever seen that? It was scary. It was really scary. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know if I've I seen thought, that. I, thought I really hurt him. I really did. I, it was scary to me too. Yeah, it was. Uh, but it just goes to show that a, a seasoned boxer like Bean w- was no match for any of the guys in the wrestling industry in that in that type of format. You know, just no match. Yeah, he was, actually uh, went on to have some really good MMA fights. I'm sorry. He. Bart actually went on and had some really good MMA fights. Yeah, he's a tough guy. No no doubt about it, man. He just had the wrong strategy against me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. He, could, he, could, he could just right at it, just swinging away instead of trying to box. A good wrestler can take down a, a, a boxer pretty easily, usually, you know, and especially in a format like that. So I was uh, at quite a disadvantage in a, in a sense uh, being taken down. And uh, with gloves on too, you know, so it's a little, little weird thing. Yeah, Dan, what um, what Mark's talking about, I don't know if you saw it or not, but um, it, in my opinion, at least, Mark, a pretty, pretty badly misconceived idea to take a bunch of their name pro wrestlers and put them in a single elimination tournament called the Brawl for All, which were <laughs> what I think one minute rounds, right, Mark? One yeah, minute, three, three, one minute rounds. Three, three minutes just going out there and going for it, you know? So like takedowns allowed. Yeah. Sorry, Dan? Uh, I said so it was like one of the, the tough man, old tough man tournaments that would just with pro wrestlers, though. Yeah, well, yes. takedowns were allowed and, and boxing. And uh, big, big gloves. So, you know, kind of negated the ability for well, takedowns. Tell them big gloves or not, but. They won the 10 outs that I'd love to have fought with. <laughs> right, right. And uh, a, a lot of the guys got hurt in that, huh, Marco? Most of the guys. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was it, you know, all these guys with big contracts are now sidelines for months with blown out knees or shoulders or whatever. So many guys got <laughs> seriously hurt in it. And uh, it was uh, it was not a good idea. <laughs> it put a lot of guys on the sidelines, you know. I'll be yeah. honest, it worked out great for me. Well, yeah, you were you were the star of the pay per view, man. <laughs> that was a hell of a deal. Yeah, Dan, what happened with that was they they created this tournament with the idea of this one guy who they brought in, Doctor Death, Steve Williams. This tournament was designed to really get him over and create him as a new ultra tough guy in WWF at the time. But it was real. I mean, there was, it was a shoot. So the miscalculated a guy named Bart Gunn, who we're talking about here, knocked Doctor Death out. So they killed all their plans. And as a punishment for WrestleMania, they brought Butterbean in to fight this guy, Bart Gunn. And that's uh, kind of how that was. He actually trained for a year for that fight, though. But I think the trainers ta- did not train him correctly. They trained him like a boxing match. Right. It was, it was, not, it was not great. It was not great. Well, um, it actually turned all the way around backwards. So, you guys, we're we're at we're at the end of an hour here, and you know, I, I appreciate both you guys coming on so much. Thank you. And it, it's a little bit of a tough question for a wrap up, but so people out there listening now, people that are going to listen and watch this later, you, we all know that in general, guys are suffering these days. It's a tough world to live in right now. Can you give anybody and everybody out there your your best one motivational? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps advice. Cause I know people love to hear this from you guys. Um, well, I, I can just say from my own personal experience and uh, anyone that's going through an issue in their life right now, whether it's depression or financial woes or hardships or suicidal thoughts or whatever, whatever it may be, man, please know that you're not alone and, 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 and talk to someone, man. Yeah. You know, some of us tough guys want to hold it inside and feel like we could, we could just handle it ourselves and we can't always handle things ourselves. So please talk to someone. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I'll, you can find me very easily if you ever want to write to me or, 
or email me or text me or something, man. I'll do my best to to help you out, especially if you've been in some of the industries and the things that we've done. Uh, me, Dan, Bean, uh, all three of us, you know, we've been through a lot in our lives and uh, just know that you're going to get through it. After every storm, the sun will eventually shine. And believe me, it's going to be brighter than you can ever imagine. Just don't give up. That's great, man. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Surround yourself with good people that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes make the hard decision and, and kind of get rid of the ones that, that are kind of leading you in the wrong direction and, and you know, kind of basically set, set a goal and, and try to get there, even if it's for the day, try to try to reach that goal and, and then it's set one for the week, then for the month. And, and eventually you'll start seeing the right path that, that you should be going on. And, and, you know, you always just have to have confidence in yourself that you could do it. Man. You know, if you didn't, if you didn't have self-confidence, then it, that's a tough thing, but you, you got to kind of dig deep and, and know that you could do certain things. And, and like I said, setting goals is a huge thing. One day, two days, a week, a month, a year, you know, eventually those, those goals get farther away and, and you're still going to be walking towards them. So, you know, that, that's, that's the biggest thing that, that I think is uh, or a big thing in life that has helped me. That's awesome. Thank you, man. You know, it, j- it just occurred to me, Dan and Bean, if anybody out there does want a word from you guys, you guys are both on Cameo. I know that. Butterbean, yeah. Mark, are you on Cameo? I am. Yes, you are. All three of you are on Cameo. So people can reach out to you that way as well. I just thought I would mention that. If you know someone, people out there, you know someone else that's suffering, that's a fan of Butterbean's or Mark Merrill's or Dan Henderson's, get a Cameo. Send it to your friend, man. That's a really cool thing. You'll, you'll, uh, You'll light their day up, no doubt about it. Um, One more thing I always like to say, Rick. You know what? The people you love, make sure they know you love them. Just tell them you love them every once in a while. I love all my friends, and uh, you know, and I, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to say it, guys. So uh, just let just let your friends know that you love them. Absolutely. And on that note, my friend Eric, would you like to uh, wrap us up for the evening? I'm gonna let you wrap it up, Rick. You're really good at it. <laughs> I was trying to get out of it tonight, Pete. Um, Dan, really good to see you, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Mark, so good to meet you. Um, genuinely. Feel like I uh, made a new friend here. And it was cool seeing you guys on together. Uh, appreciate everything you said. Everybody out there watching this, listen to what Butterbean and Dan Anderson and Mark Merrill have to say. There's always a chance. There's always another day. Do your best. Guys, thanks so much. I'm let, I was letting you wrap it up. One thing we forgot to do. Yes. Like, Dan, what do you got coming up? And, Mark, what do you got coming up? Go for it, Thank Dan. You. What do you got coming up you want to tell people about? Uh, Sorry, I forgot about to even ask, but, yeah, that's kind of important to me. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just working on a, a project at my gym. I'm putting a brewery, distillery, restaurant in in the same building as my gym and and – and I do hold amateur fights there about four times a year. And, and uh, come check them out if you're ever in the Temecula area. How how do people find you online, Dan? How do they check that out? Uh, Dan, uh, danhenderson.com or, or my gym, uh, DHAFC, Dan Henderson's Athletic Fit Center. Great. And guys, when we um, when we edit the show later, we'll include all your web links and all that in the edit, just FYI. Awesome. What do you got coming up, Mark? Oh, you know, we, we got Celeb Fest coming up in uh, in uh, Maryland. And uh, then I go to New York for a, uh, a uh, I don't know, like an eight-school tour out in New York. And uh, looking forward to that. Uh, just inspiring these kids, man. Just giving these kids hope. You know, if, if the one thing kids are looking for today is hope. And we as adults have got to really, instead of talking doom and gloom, we got to just show them that there is life after hardships, man, and things will be okay. We're going to get through this pandemic. We're going to get through this as countries, the best country in the world. And we've got to stop, start praising it instead of putting it down. Thank you. That's awesome. Yes. Hey, thanks, both y'all. I, sorry about that, Rick, but I just, I just had to ask him. All good, man. So good seeing everybody. Eric. Amazing seeing you as always, my good friend. And next week, next week, Rick, we're, we're doing it at a different time from Holland. What time yeah. zone? Are you 
from. Yeah, we're live from Holland next week at uh, at noon Pacific, which is 3 p.m. Eastern and 2 p.m. Uh, Central time. Boss Root will be back with us. And our guests uh, next week also from Holland are uh, Gugard Masasi and Melvin Mano, both. So it should be a pretty interesting discussion. So, hey, thanks a lot, guys, and we really appreciate it. No problem. Right. Thank you, guys, man. Love you, guys. Take care. Good night, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.